welcome to this week's episode of Mum Will Know with me, Claire Wind, midwife and mum. Join me each week as we delve into topics from conception to kids in kindy with the aim to become confident and well-informed mums. Today I thought I'd open up the topic of induction of labour. I've touched on this in a number of different episodes already, so you may have been hanging out for a bit more information or an explanation about induction. And I'm actually going to break this topic up into two parts. So you'll get today and then you'll get next week as well so that I can try and cover a fair bit of information. Again, this is the type of topic that I think every pregnant woman and her partner should be on top of in case it comes up and is something that it's brought up or recommended to you later down the track. Hopefully, if that's the case, then you have a healthcare provider who is just great at clearly sharing the benefits and risks uh, that gives you time to think about whether it's something you're happy to go along with and generally just supports you in whatever questions you have, but ultimately supports you in the decision you make. Sometimes, unfortunately, that's not the case and some women miss out on feeling properly informed about a whole range of topics, which means that they can feel like they're saying yes to something that they don't actually understand or they feel coerced into something when it doesn't feel right, which I'll just say is absolutely horrible and just plain wrong. You should never feel pressured into something when it comes to decisions around your pregnancy, your labor or birth or anything for that matter. Yes, doctors and health professionals are just that, professionals, uh, and that can bring it with a bit of authority on these topics. But when it comes down to it, we're talking about your body and your baby. So every decision made about those two things should be your decision and one that you can honestly feel comfortable with. So mini rant over today and also in part two next week, let's at least get started thinking about the possibility of induction. Let's look at what it is, uh, why it's recommended, what the risks and benefits are, just so that you feel somewhat aware of what it is in case it becomes more of a reality for you. So firstly, what is an induction of labour? An induction is an intervention that happens which stimulates the start of labour. So there are a number of different ways that this can be done and sometimes multiple steps will be taken to finally initiate labour. There are medical options for induction, which mean that medications such as a synthetic prostaglandin or synthetic oxytocin are required, whereas then there are also surgical or mechanical methods of induction, uh, like the artificial rupture of membranes or a balloon catheter, and I'll go into them, don't worry. Uh, Once it's determined or recommended that you have an induction, most often a midwife or doctor will perform a vaginal examination, and that's to determine basically what steps will be required to get this labor going. So the vaginal examination is looking to see if the cervix is soft and stretchy, but most importantly, whether it's open at all, which is called dilation. Uh, If it is open and then the bag of waters which the baby's floating around in can be felt or reached, so generally like one or two centimetres dilated or more, this means that those medical methods of induction may actually not be required initially and that breaking the bag of waters would be the first step needed. Whereas if your cervix is closed, Obviously, the healthcare provider wouldn't be able to break the bag of waters, so some sort of process to soften and open that cervix is required, which can actually involve both medical and surgical methods. So 
let's unpack each of these possible methods of induction because you may actually end up needing one or a number of these during your last few days or hours of pregnancy. I'll explain them in the kind of order that a lot of hospitals conduct them in, starting with the very first steps for women who have a long closed cervix, to then finishing with the last methods that are offered to women whose cervix is already open. So, uh, Prostin gel. This is a gel made up of a synthetic prostaglandin, um, a hormone that prepares the body for labour, and it's placed at the top of your vagina behind or underneath the cervix uh, with the idea that it will soften or ripen that cervix. Before the gel is inserted, the baby will be monitored by a CTG to just to make sure baby sounds happy, heart rate's good, uh, and, and it's safe to, to continue. Uh, and then the midwife or doctor inserts the gel basically the same way we do a vaginal examination. The baby then needs to be monitored again for about half an hour or so uh, as mum kind of lies in a semi-recumbent position, making sure the gel just doesn't fall out if she stood up. Uh, and the monitoring after the gel insertion is really important to make sure your baby and your body isn't responding badly to that gel. Sometimes then a second dose of gel is required, uh, and that can be especially common for first-time mums, and it's usually inserted either 6 or 12 hours after that first dose. Again, this is done via another vaginal examination, which determines that maybe the cervix is still closed and hasn't softened enough, so that second dose is inserted. But if at this stage the cervix feels soft and is opening, that second dose may not be required and the next step in the induction process can begin. Another um, medical method of induction early on is Cervidil, and that's basically another way of applying synthetic prostaglandin to the cervix, so just like the Prostin gel, although it looks a bit different. Um, it's kind of like a flat tampon with a string that hangs out of the vagina. So the strip at the end is placed behind the cervix and it releases the prostaglandin hormone. And just like the gel, a CTG is attended before inserting the Cervidil and after to make sure the baby remains happy and well. If there are any issues like the baby not responding well or some other things which I'll cover in a bit, the string can be pulled out to remove the Cervidil. With both prostaglandin induction methods, so that gel or the Cervidil that I've just talked about, the mother remains in hospital to have regular monitoring every couple of hours and yet this method um, and the Prostin gel are pretty much applied to the cervix so that it opens enough for someone to then manually go in and break your waters. Often it's just by preference of hospital or doctor that they might prefer one way or the other, so the gel or the Cervidil. But there are also some risk factors that mean that one of these two methods is preferred over the other. All right, the next method or step that we go through is the balloon catheter. So that's another method used to ripen the cervix. And it's generally offered if the hormonal options, which I've just touched on, haven't made enough changes to the cervix and that bag of waters around the baby is still not able to be felt, which therefore means it can't be broken. Um, so this kind of balloon catheter is the next step. Although this method of induction may also be used as a first step for women who have risk factors that mean that prostaglandin is contraindicated. So people who have had a previous cesarean section and are wanting a vaginal birth, so they're planning for a VBAC, um, the cervix still needs to be ripened in order to access the bag of waters. So how it works is that a woman is generally positioned in stirrups um, and usually a speculum is inserted, so it's like getting a pap smear, uh, and a thin plastic catheter or tube is inserted through the hole in the cervix. And then 
two small balloons are inflated with water on either side of the cervix. So one on the inside where, you know, it's actually inside the uterus. It's where the baby's head and the bag of waters are, not actually in the bag of waters, but uh, between that bag of waters and the cervix. And then one of the balloons that's inflated is on the other side, so inside the vagina. And basically it's forming a pressure between the two balloons, which kind of squeezes the cervix with the aim to hopefully mechanically soften and open the cervix up a little bit. The catheter tends to stay inside for about 12 hours or until it's fallen out. And if it does fall out, that's a great sign that your cervix has actually opened. And that top balloon has come from inside the bottom of your uterus through the cervix and falling out your vagina. With the catheter, again, the baby needs to be monitored before it's inserted and after it's inserted and fairly regularly whilst the catheter remains inside. All three of these methods of ripening the cervix have the potential to start labour. So women remain inpatients at the hospital during these processes, uh, at least in the hospitals that I've worked at anyway. And sometimes with these, you'll, you'll notice some little niggles starting. And most of the time, you just kind of be recommended or given Panadol or Panadine for it, uh, unless labour has really kicked off and they're, you know, it's get, getting too intense. But generally, those niggles are pretty manageable. These methods of induction are also most likely to take place in either the hospital's antenatal ward or the postnatal maternity ward of a hospital. And that's so that women can rest. Uh, You only really head to the birthing suite once labour's really kicked off and established or plans have been made to attend to the next step of induction. So hopefully one of these three methods has successfully softened and opened that cervix slightly. Uh, And if it hasn't put you into labour, then the next step of induction can take place. At this stage, normally a cannula is inserted into your hand or your arm, which will be the access point for a synthetic hormone to bring on contractions, uh, which I'll get into in a sec. But like I said, you're then moved across from maybe the antenatal or postnatal ward to birthing suite, where the plan is basically your baby will be born that day. And that's because the team are taking the steps to make that happen. So, Next up would be what's called an artificial rupture of membranes or an ARM. Basically, if your waters have not yet broken, then an ARM will likely be recommended. And how this happens is that your doctor or your midwife will attend another vaginal examination where they will scratch a little hole in the bag of waters around the baby's presenting part, which is normally the head. So it's often done with just like a little hook, uh, which the mother and the baby don't feel at all. It's just like bursting a little water balloon. Of course, this can only be done if the cervix is open enough to get a finger or two through it to touch the bag of waters, hence all the work I've just talked about beforehand. Uh, Again, with this process, the baby is monitored by a CTG to ensure that the baby remains happy. Uh, And once your waters are broken... Sometimes contractions actually start naturally, but if not, the next step of the induction process begins. It's important to note here that depending on the risk factors to mum and baby and the reason that you're there for an induction, you may be offered maybe four hours or so to stand up, move around, and hopefully encourage contractions to start on their own once your waters have been broken. But of course, that depends on your, you know, your risk factors, like I said, and the doctors may actually be recommending that that next step, which I'm about to go into, needs to happen straight away. So you've had your waters broken. The next step is synthetic oxytocin. So if you've heard a number of my previous episodes, I've spoken about the hormone oxytocin and its work causing contractions of the uterus. 
So what happens next in the induction process is that a synthetic version of oxytocin, which is often known as syntocinin, or in America, if you listen to podcasts in America, it's pitocin. Um, And this hormone or synthetic hormone is given via the IV cannula, which has just been inserted, and it's given as an infusion to stimulate the contractions of the uterus. So it starts off at a really slow or small rate, and it gradually is turned up every half hour or so uh, with the intention to mimic labor in order to try and ensure the baby remains kind of happy as contractions build up. You don't just want to go full steam ahead because the baby will be like, what the heck's going on? Uh, so it's, it's slow and steady. So the infusion continues to be increased, granted the baby's happy, until the woman's having strong, regular contractions that we'd consider are effective in opening the cervix and bringing that baby down. So probably around four or five contractions every 10 minutes, and those contractions are lasting like 60 seconds. The infusion then continues to run at that rate generally until after the baby's born. Uh, Some places do trial turning it off once, you know, labor's established to see if the woman's body will continue contracting on its own now that it's kind of been kicked into gear. But I haven't seen this uh, happen much. Something to note is that if you have an oxytocin infusion running, the baby needs to be continuously monitored by CTG. Uh, And I'll explain the risks and reasons for that in part two. Another thing to point out with this method of induction is that it could actually be the only step needed for some women. So maybe their waters have broken, but contractions never naturally started. So there's a risk of infection, and this is where stimulating contractions to begin by syntocinin is recommended. Other women whose cervixes are already starting to soften and dilate may actually only need the ARM or the ARM plus oxytocin infusion to get things going without any cervical ripening needed. So as you can gather, there are a range of ways that induction may actually play out. To get an idea of one way some of these methods are used, I thought it'd be nice for Mum Will Know listener Tolly McRae to jump on and share a little bit about her experience having an induction of labour. So here she is. Hi, uh, my name's Tolly um, and so I was asked to share a bit about my story with induction. Um, So my induction actually took place with my third baby in January this year. My first baby, almost four-year-old, he ended up in an emergency caesarean. Um, And then my second, only 18 months later, I was fortunate to be able to try for a VBAC, a vaginal birth, and I was even more fortunate uh, that it was a successful one. So he came spontaneously at 39 weeks um, and no complications with either of those pregnancies. Uh, And then... Yeah, my third baby, again, crazy, decided 20 months age gap between those two um, to go again. Now, because I'd had a successful VBAC, they were really positive with me trying again. Um, And again, not a complicated pregnancy. Everything was pretty straightforward. I was healthy. Everything, yeah, all went really well. Um, And then at my 38-week appointment, I was starting to feel tired, which is pretty understandable when it's Queensland summer and I've got two toddlers and I'm 38 weeks pregnant. Um, So the midwife wasn't overly worried, but then a couple of days later, I started getting really bad headaches that I could not get rid of. I got cramping again. I got nauseous like I was in my first trimester again. 
I started getting swelling in my legs and my feet, which I'd not had before in any of my pregnancies. So it all sort of was all these extra things in the last two weeks that were not normal, I suppose. Um, But of course, because I'm stubborn and a bit silly, I just put it down to the fact that it was Queensland summer and I was heavily pregnant and I had two toddler boys who were very busy and I didn't ring my midwife and I didn't get a checkup and I probably should have. Um, So I went in for my 40-week appointment, so on my due date, and I was just sitting in the waiting room. (laughs) My midwife came out and she's like, all right, let's get you in. How are you? I was like, I'm I'm so done. Um, She's like, and I rattled off how I'd been feeling. And she was like, oh, uh, okay. That's, that's not kind of normal. Why didn't you call me? It's like, I don't know. I just didn't. Anyway. So she gets me and she's like, look, sit down, check you over, see how things are going besides, you know, what you've been experiencing. So I got in there and first thing she took was my blood pressure, which is perfectly normal to do that, Um, and it was really high. I don't remember the exact number, but it was, yeah, it was definitely a little bit concerning for her. So she's like, that's okay. We're going to check the baby. We'll check the heart rate, get you some water, take some deep breaths. So a few minutes went by, took my blood pressure again, more like the higher, higher number. So she's like, again, totally fine. You're probably just feeling a little bit stressed. Um, So she called another midwife in. I think at this point, my half an hour appointment was at 45 minute mark. She's like, look, I've checked her blood pressure. It's very high. These are the symptoms. I'm thinking it's preeclampsia. And she was like, I agree. I 100% agree. So they took a urine sample and again, it found protein in my urine which again is another sign of preeclampsia but they couldn't a hundred percent confirm it until I'd had my bloods done so they after a little while they decided the best bet would be because of us 40 weeks it was my due date they took my bloods at the clinic and they took it to the hospital to get processed while I went home called my husband got my bag had some lunch and met them at the hospital basically they implied go home because you're having a baby tonight we're gonna make it happen um so I was very emotional on the drive home because the whole I'd had very complicated birth with my first um and then my second went all perfectly smoothly no issues no you know and I and I wanted that again, I wanted to have no intervention as such. I didn't want to be induced. I didn't want a cesarean. I just wanted all, you know, all the things to go. Sorry, that's my child banging thing. Where was I? Yeah. So I, um, yeah. So I was quite emotional because I was like, I did not. I just thought this was going to all go to plan, like my second had. We get to the hospital. By the time I got there, they had done the bloods and it came back and confirmed that I did have preeclampsia. So the obstetrician came in and said, look, it's your due date. You've developed preeclampsia. We don't want you to go home. We are going to induce you. So I was like, okay, so what, what does that entail? What, what do I, what do you need to do? And my midwife who 
had been with me my whole pregnancy, knew that this would probably not be my um, want. So she was like, explained it after the obstetrician did their medical talk. She was like, what I will fight for you is I'll, you know, we'll get your waters broken and then they want to, in an hour, give you oxytocin and get you on the drip. But I will fight for you to try and let your body do it in its own way. So she's like, I might only be able to get you two hours. I might, but I'm going to try and get you four hours. So to let, so once my waters were broken to give me four hours to try and establish labor on my own. So luckily because of my history and my previous pregnancies, sorry, my second pregnancy and all going well, they agreed to that. Uh, But then at about three and a half hours, I'd only just started to get into active labor. I'd only just started really strong, regular contractions. So it hadn't gotten far enough for them to be happy to let my body just do the rest on its own. They wanted to um, use a bit of Syntocin. So they came in and they kind of said, look, you have two options. You take a bit of Syntocin and help that push your body along or you don't and if you lack you know if your your labor sort of stalls a little bit then you will be taken for a cesarean they're your two options you do it on your own but if it lapses a bit you go get a caesar or you take a little bit of sinto and hope you know that your body does the rest so i cried a lot at those two options because obviously then neither option was my preferred option or my desired outcome. Um, But I did decide that I wanted to try and do everything to avoid a cesarean. That's just my personal, what I wanted. So I had a bit of Syntocin. I had the tiniest little bit. I don't know the exact quantities they give, but um, just the initial starting bit. And then my contractions came on hard and painful and fast. And three hours later, my baby was born. And I found out afterwards that they didn't give me any extra Syntocin. They just gave me that initial bit. So my body obviously just needed that push to just, and then it just did the rest. And yeah, like obviously it it was not my ideal um, situation, but I guess labor and pregnancy you don't get ideal very often so it was the best outcome for me and I'm sure I could have said no to an induction I'm sure I have the legal rights to say no but when I weighed up what was more important having this baby come out and be healthy and then me be healthy or saying no to that and then who knows what could have happened definitely having an induction was was the more positive and the better option for me. So that's my little brief story. And um, yeah. Thanks so much to Tolly for sharing a little bit about her induction experience. I'll delve into some of the reasons induction are recommended in part two next week. And as I do that, you'll hear a little bit more about preeclampsia, which Tolly explained was why her induction was recommended. But yeah, I just thought it was really helpful to, to hear, yeah, a positive experience of a reason that uh, an induction needed to happen, but uh, generally a, a good birth story that's come alongside that as well. And uh, yeah, and Tolly, yeah, thanks again for sharing that. 
Just to finish off this episode, I thought it would be interesting to find out what the prevalence of induction of labor is in Australia. Just from working in the birth space, I feel like there's definitely a fair chunk of women who are induced, whether that's for medical reasons or not, and I'll get into that in part two. But in terms of how common an induction of labor is in Australia, from what I can find, there's a 2015 Mothers and Babies report by the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, which basically gives an overview of the statistics collected from each state and territory around things like antenatal care, maternal health, place of birth, onset of birth, method of birth, and a whole lot of information about babies as well. And from that 2015 report, it was found that a third of Australian women had their labours induced and that this was actually an increase compared to the same statistics gathered back in 2005, 10 years earlier. The other statistic I found that was a little closer to today's date uh, was that of women aged between 20 to 34 having just a single baby in the head down position, which is normal, uh, in which this was their first baby, which so they're called primips. Uh, and these statistics are from 2017 across Australia, so a little bit more recent, and that they found that 43% of these women had their labour induced. So there's definitely a significant number of Australian women who experience one or more of these methods to establish labour. So I hope by hearing about these steps today or these methods today, you can be equipped and prepared for what may be something that actually comes up for you in the future. Sometimes it is, like in Tolly's experience, a bit of a shock and you don't get much time to think through what's actually going on. So having this information way in advance can help you feel less in the dark if that's something that's recommended later down the track. Okay, so let's end it there for today. Make sure you've subscribed through your podcast app so you don't miss part two next week. Uh, And if you found this episode helpful or interesting, please let me know. Connect with me on Instagram or Facebook at Mum Will Know. And if you can, please do head to Apple Podcasts and give Mum Will Know a positive rating and a five-star review so others also can find it. Awesome. Well, have a great week, guys.